and welcome to Logan Sounds Off, where I talk about books, music and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Logan Kelly. Welcome to Love and Sounds Off. Today I am talking to Nikki Coughlin. Hello, Nikki. How are you today? Hey, Logan. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. As I said, I'm not sure what you're going to talk to me about, but I'm delighted to have been invited on Logan Sounds Off. I'm an avid listener and I've been following your podcast for some time now. Thanks, Nikki. Um, so first off, for those who have listened to my interviews before, uh, like you, Nikki, I always like to ask the interviewee, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I am 46 years old. I have grey hair. No, um, I'm a radio producer and a radio and podcast producer. I was a teacher for years. I taught radio production in a place called Colossia Dooligan Kulak for about 18 years. And um, I used to always have my students make um, exciting work. And oftentimes I wanted young people to be the audience for that work. And so... Um, in 2019, I actually came into RTE to talk with, um, I wasn't sure who I was meeting actually, but I was talking with people about the possibility of my students in college making work for children that would go on RTE Junior Radio. And I pitched an idea and uh, the person who I was talking to, it turned out, was the head of young people and RTE, Suzanne Kelly. I didn't even know that she was the head of young people at that point. And she laughed and said, would you like a job? And I just sort of laughed again and sort of kept on talking, assuming that was a joke as well. But then, no, that's the case. So since September of 2019, I've taken a career break from teaching radio and I've been working in RTE. And what I do is I run RTE Junior Radio, which is a digital station for children, and I develop all of the audio content for children. So when we st- I started in 2019, we had a single podcast feed. We now have, I think, 26 or 27 and growing podcast series that we do on RT Junior Radio. So podcasts for kids aged from two or three all the way up until 12, 13, 14, 15 and beyond. It, so that's, that's what I do. <laughs> it's actually, it's amazing. And I'm going to come back to that. With, I'm going to ask you a question about your play, The Emperor's New Duds that you worked on, and that's gonna be very interesting. And so I'm gonna go straight down to your roots. Um, What music did you listen to as a child? Well, the first record I remember being really obsessed with was Adam and the Ants. And I don't think it was necessarily the record. I think I loved the music video. And there was a music video for Adam and the Ants, which was long before you were born. He had a song called Prince Charming, where he had kind of this white face paint. He looked kind of halfway, between a highwayman and a Native American. Um, And I just loved it. I was obsessed with it. And my two aunts who were twins, they used to try and make me up as a little mini version of Adam and the Ants. So the first record that I had bought for me was was Adam and the Ants. And I really loved that. But I think it was the... It was just the uh, the energy of that and the, the 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 how strident the video was that excited me about that. I think the first cassette single I ever bought was probably You Can't Touch This, which is a terrible song by... Um, by MC Hammer, <laughs> but I really liked the baseline, and that was based on a, a song that had been done many years before um, by Rick James. But then in the early 90s, I became kind of obsessed with rave music. Um, the Prodigy, I saw the Prodigy oh, yeah. 
um, out of space video, I think, or maybe it was actually it was before that. It was it 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 would have been fire, but I, I just thought their music was amazing, and I got to see them live in I think it was nineteen ninety three, the summer of nineteen ninety three. I saw them in the Glen, the Glen Eagles Hotel in Killarney, and it was one of the most transformative experiences I've ever had. Just the madness of it, and um, and the next day I sort of started buying records an awful lot and I bought my first turntables a few months after that and I've been a DJ kind of since then so I'm over 30 years a DJ this year. It's actually amazing your story I'm gonna actually come back to um, you being a DJ later on some of the questions Um. so next this is again connected to this um to the last question who was your guilty pleasure growing up? Uh, of course, what everyone says is I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I, <laughs> because, you know, if you like it, you should like it for that reason alone. I, there's, a, there's a thing you go through, which I, I think you're, you've luckily avoided so far when you're first into music. It's this kind of muso thing where you, you really don't want to let on to people that you really like certain types of pop music and you want to let on that your musical taste is totally unique it's not like <laughs> it's not unique it's just I, I did listen to an awful lot of music I took it all really really seriously and for a long time I only really listened to dance music what is my guilty pleasure um I've kind of it's not even a guilty pleasure but an album that I come back to again and again is Graceland by Paul Simon and I think it's because it was played over and over again in the car when I was a kid when I was a kid we didn't have Spotify or, or Apple Music streaming and we didn't have podcasts so we were in the car you're usually entertained by a single cassette and the cassettes that sort of played on loop in, in, in our car were, were three things they were the best of Buddy Holly which I absolutely adored um four things the Traveling Wilburys album oh, um, Traveling Wilburys yeah which is kind of um uh, the uh, Graceland by Paul Simon and probably oh god I think it was the the Furies and Davy Arthur, but Graceland was the thing I listened to the most. So it's not really a guilty pleasure, but the thing that I come back to the most from when I was a kid was probably Graceland. I had a bit of a weird thing where I was obsessed with classical music when I was 12. In particular, one version, Nigel Kennedy's version of The Four Seasons, which I listened to so much that I decided I want to play the violin, but never really got beyond Frere Jacques. That was about as far as I went. The violin's hard. Do you know what? I know. I actually started learning violin in second class in school. I we we had to learn it. Um now I mean it was about like a couple of months and then all of us were nearly crying. We I couldn't play anything with the violin. I think the piano, you know, it's a hard one to master, but it's an easy one to get a note on in that you press the key and it makes, if you want to press the key of C, you press the key of C and, and it sounds like C. With a yeah. violin, you're struggling to find the note for quite a while. And, and so I think it takes a lot of practice and also um, a lot of patience on the part of your parents to let you do all the terrible cat screaming practice before you actually get to find that note. That is very true, and that's why I honestly have never seen a violin in this house. Um, <laughs> uh, now, um, moving on to, sorry, go, circling back to what we were talking about, with that you are saying Graceland, um, would Graceland be your favourite track on Graceland? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's funny, I think that the one that I probably listen to 
the one that comes back to me, apart from obviously you can call me Al, which I kind of got a bit sick of when I'm DJing because it's the one that everyone wants to hear, but I don't really like do it. I really like Diamonds in the Soles of Her Shoes. And I do like Graceland, but I think Diamonds in the Soles of Her Shoes was the one I listened to. That one in Home, Homeless, I think it starts with Homeless, which is mainly led by Lady Smith Blackman Bass. I really enjoyed those when I was a kid. And I think sometimes when you hear a kind of music at a specific point in your life, like smells, those sounds can bring you back to that point in your life. And I think that's probably... I remember being very happy in the car. Usually we would, if we were on a long car journey, it would be to go on holidays to County Clare and, and that record would be played again and again the cassette would just loop back on itself and so those songs get ingrained in your head so whether I like them or not I don't know I think I still do though I, my, my, my kids really still enjoy that album I still play songs off it I make a, a new CD that's how much of a Luddite I am I make a new CD for my daughter's birthdays and it's Christmas they so they get a joint one for Christmas and they get an individual one for their birthdays so our car journeys are now usually soundtracked by mixes that I've made for them and stuff that they've chosen themselves because they just got really into a lot of the songs that I liked and found their own stuff through that. I, I actually have to say, we are saying with holidays in Graceland and everything, it's actually brought me back last year. I wouldn't mind, my dad hates the song Graceland. Oh, really? He's, he's not a big fan of Paul Simon. No, he, it wouldn't be his thing. Okay, now, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, yeah, but he, he like, I mean... He'd be kind of very kind of half about it. He doesn't love it. He doesn't hate it. He's kind of half. But anyways, um, there was Graceland playing in the car on the way on holidays last year. So that's why I love the song Graceland. Because mm. I was going to Cron, a place in Mayo, and I love, 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 love Cron. If you see there, there's a little kind of doomsday clock thing there. Yeah. And you might not be able to see it. That's literally counting down the days. Aha. All those individuals little tiny squares um I've been doing for a couple of months now. Um but anyways moving on um would Graceland still be your current guilty pleasure? Or mm, I don't know why I mean I don't know guilty in my current guilty pleasure probably be some songs by Dua Lipa. I think that Levitating is one of the best songs of the last few years. Uh, and your sister Elise when she was doing her live DJ for a day chose a couple of Harry Styles songs I don't love Watermelon Sugar but I think As It Was is one of the best pop songs of the past while I really like um, it's funny oftentimes at the moment if you ask for a guilty pleasure I go into the world of pop because it's stuff that my I listen to with my, my daughters so that's kind of where it is I love Sigrid but I don't think they're guilty pleasures I think Sigrid is just really really good similarly with with Dua Lipa but if I was trying to wear my cool DJ credentials I would be like oh no I don't the thing is when you're DJing for a long time and you're DJing for a very wide spread of ages and people which I was when I was DJing live a lot um you kind of have to realize what age the people are that you've got in front of you you have to keep on top of what's contemporary and yeah. so you're always trying to keep a balance between oftentimes in your DJ there's one for me and one for them and oftentimes when you're in the thick of the night and everyone's going crazy it, it all often is there's 10 for them so as they're enjoying themselves but I never played rubbish I never played any song that I didn't like or or, or didn't find think was okay like I don't love Fleetwood Mac but they're I know how popular they are so sometimes when I'm DJing you'll drop in a song here or there like everywhere and, and you know that that works also because I know I can go from that into playing you know uh, this must be the place by talking heads and I can go from yes. that into something you, you know guess it. I can go from that into like sugar by uh, or something good I, I i move between genres all the time when i dj because it keeps me interested and it keeps the audience on their toes 
Yeah, I completely actually understand what you're saying there. Sorry, my watch it off the mic. Um, but no, one thing actually that I do actually agree with you is you said about Harry Styles. Mm-hmm. And that you said you like him, but you're not a big fan of Watermelon Sugar. Uh, as it was, I think that's a brilliant pop song. Mm. Like five stars all day long, like in Logan's five terms. But the thing is, is that that has been that has been overplayed yeah. too many times for my, in my opinion. I liked it when it came out, and I still do like it now. But I just, it's kind of like when I hear it, it's not something that I get excited about. No, exactly. I will. I used to. There, there were songs that I loved so much that I would work them into my set. And when you're playing maybe two nights a week, which I used to be doing quite regularly, um you get used to playing the song, but you lose your love for that song when you're playing it on a regular basis, you know? And that's not on the radio, that's that's playing it yourself. I, sometimes there's this balance in you when you're DJing between what you, the music that you like and the impact it has on the audience. Like sometimes those two come together. Like if you're in the middle of playing, you know, Blue Monday by New Order, it's an amazing song that everyone enjoys as well. And I always used to like teasing it because it has those amazing dum, dum, it had those beats at the start and I would be mixing in that to the previous song over and over and over again so everyone could hear that and they knew it was coming so you're teasing and teasing and teasing until when eventually it drops everyone goes kind of crazy um and it's amazing it's a lovely feeling when you've got that combination of songs that are good that you love and that the audience loves at the same time and and putting two of those songs together in a mix and making it land is very satisfying even if you have heard the song yeah, a million times I, I actually can imagine that just for open oh, yeah sorry the three um because that that's actually a really good um song and i feel like new order feel like joy division revamped mm-hmm. for me that well, that's what that's but like that's what i would think of it as i think of that as electro pop joy division um, yeah. it's because Joy Division can be a bit more acoustic. In I think you're, they both reflect their times really effectively, yeah, like, you know, post-punk perfect. with New Order and then, you know, that it's it's not New Romantic by any means, but it is electro-pop in the, in, in the early 80s and mid-80s, which is what New Order were yeah. doing. Yeah. It's perfect combination, uh, both two brilliant years. Um, so next, I'd like to move on to my last question regarding when you were growing up. Um, did you listen to much radio? Because I find this a very interesting question because me, I listen to a lot of music, but I listen to a lot of it through the radio. Mm. I know, like, even, I know a lot of kids nowadays walk home and just listen to random playlists. So what was it for you? Would you listen to records or tapes or CDs or were you more of a radio guy like me? I was kind of both. I um, listened to the radio a lot in the car because that was what was available to us if I wasn't listening to Paul Simon or anything else that we had on cassette. And sometimes you just wanted a break so you'd put the radio on. So I did listen to a lot of it. I remember listening to Larry Gogan a lot when I was a kid uh, because he was on 2FM at the time and that was kind of the kind of music that was playing. And he was quite 
it was a very broad mix of music that he was playing and it, it was really effective and I liked it for that reason. I remember listening to Top of the Pops enough or watching Top of the Pops and I'm not on my own in doing this. A lot of people would have a cassette recorder that would allow you to record it off. So you would have the cassette recorder with a built-in microphone and you'd record the song off that. I listened to Radio 1 a huge amount, not RT Radio 1, but actually BBC Radio 1 because there was a programme called, this is in the mid-90s and late 90s, there was a programme called The Breeze Block with Marianne Hobbs. And she used to play a huge amount of dance music and electronic music, as well as more difficult and interesting kind of electronic music. And I really loved that at that point in time. So I listened to that radio an awful lot. But increasingly, with the advent of podcasts, I'd say since 2006, 2007, I've been listening, 2007 really, podcasts and have been my main preoccupation. I like making them. I like listening to them. Um, and when I listen to music, I find I listen to music most effectively when I'm going for a walk or when I'm in the car for a journey with my kids. And then we all get to select the music together, which is really fun if we're not listening to one of the CDs I've made. That's, that's actually really well put. Um, and next, next up for my question. And um, I know I'm going to be terrible at pronouncing this. I'd like to move on to some of the works that you've done and some more recent things that's happened. Sure. What was it like winning the Pre-X Sorry, how do you pronounce it? I think it's the Pre-Aqua. Um, Pre-Aqua. Um, for your radio play, The Emperor's New Duds, which is on um, the RT website, if anybody would like to listen to it. It's really, it's really good. Well, oh, thanks for listening to it. I appreciate that, Logan. Yeah, The Emperor's New Duds is a play that I made um, the year before last. Um, the first year I arrived in RT, um, oftentimes they won't tell you what you have to do in a, in a new job. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You'll arrive in on your first day, Logan, it's all ahead of you. And there's an expectation of you to just get going, but you're not too sure what to get going with. But I had a pretty good idea. The first project I made was Ecolution, which is the Climate Action Podcast. So I was working on that a lot and then I did a um a toy show podcast but then at the same time I always thought what's synonymous with Christmas for me and when I was a kid it was pantomimes so I decided I was going to do a, a Christmas play that we were going to put out so I wrote the first one which was called um the panto that starts at the end in which basically we follow Hansel and Gretel who are trying to get away from their mother who is um pretty scary actually um and they run back into the forest but they meet all these poor fairy tale creatures who have been the victims of children like the giant who falls off uh the giant who falls off the beanstalk because of this guy Jack and um different things happen over the course of the play um and I, I liked the characters and I liked what I'd sort of structured with it. So for the second, the year following that, when we were in the middle of lockdown, actually, so I didn't have anybody and none of us could really meet or anything like that. I wrote one called The Emperor's New Duds, which was based around the Emperor's New Clothes. Um, and the idea behind it was Hansel and Gretel have fled what they were, the, the first play and arrived in this new town. And the new town is basically being run by this guy, Emperor, Emperor Trout, who's actually not definitely not Donald Trump at the time. Um, and uh, he is full of himself and he thinks he's amazing and everybody falls in line with what he wants. And uh, uh, they fall in with these two tailors who are going out of business because a new tailor called Orstilskin has moved in and uh, has wooed the uh, this terrible emperor into thinking that their clothes are the best. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a play about around the emperor's new clothes but uh, featuring Hansel and Gretel and a cast of lots and lots of different kids it was interesting because I didn't get anybody to record in the same room because of COVID restrictions at the time so um 
those kids I had, I recorded, uh, my, my daughter Sai was in it because she was the only kid I had available to me at that point in time. Her friend Gabriel recorded in her front garden at a distance with a microphone. <laughs> so was, um, I ended up with around 10 or 12 different voices from different spaces. And like a jigsaw, I put them together into a story with music and sound design. And um, luckily it paid off. So we had it ready for the Christmas. And then I entered into this pan-European competition for children called the Prie Aqua. Um, I entered it in the fairy tale category and I entered Serial, which is a true crime podcast for kids. It's not really a true crime podcast. It's it's using the crime podcast idea um, uh, for children that we put it and we put both of them in. And we won the Prie Aqua for children's story for, for Serial, uh, for execution of a children's story and best execution of a fairy tale for the Emperor's New Duds. So the answer is I'm really proud of those things you know awards don't necessarily mean anything but it's really helpful to me in my work because it it's nice to know that people who also do the stuff that you want to do like what you do the number one person you want to please though is the kid who listens to it so I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that an 11 year old Logan Kelly likes to listen to the podcast and, and found it entertaining you know I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, like well, what are your favorites no, no. Now, now, when I say I listen to a lot of podcasts, I listen to a lot of episodes of podcasts. Now, my favorite podcast by far, by far, um, apart from The Emperor's New Dates. <laughs> that um, was a one-off. I wouldn't call that a podcast series, right? Well, yeah, true. It's Well, is it on Spotify as a podcast? Yeah, you can get on Spotify. You can get anywhere. But, well, yeah. It's, st- it's still then the top podcast. Um, I love another podcast called Drama on One which is RT Radio, one they do a drama series. Have you ever heard of it? I have, because there's some brilliant people, Kevin, Kevin and Goretti. They're the three people who run RT Drama um, on one, and they are the producers, and and, and they, they're the people who put together those plays with amazing playwrights and actors. And, um, yeah, it's I've, been a... I've actually heard about Kevin on Drama. Mm. Um, there's Kevin Reynolds, Kevin Brew and Goretti Slevin and their names you'll hear at the end of the credits. They're lovely people who work really, really hard. Radio drama is something that's not hugely popular. So it's interesting to hear of you, an 11 year old, enjoying it. But I, I do think that um, when you get to work in drama in podcast form or radio form, um, I always used to say this to my students. If you want an elephant in a television program, first of all, you need an elephant. And second of all, you need a room that's big enough to find the elephant. And you need a shovel just in case the elephant leaves a deposit somewhere in the studio. If I want an elephant in my radio program, I cue up my elephant sound effect and I say, oh, no, there's an elephant. And I put my sound effect in. I think (laughs) radio (laughs) drama allows you to create a world that doesn't necessarily exist and allows you as a listener to be able to kind of immerse yourself in the story and imagine what the characters look like. In the same way as reading a book allows you to imagine like what Harry Potter looks like or what Dumbledore looks like in the Harry Potter world. Similarly, we all have images of what Hansel and Gretel look like from the Emperor's New Duds, and we project that. And radio drama allows you the space to use your imagination. Um, so I think Drama on One do amazing things with that space. And it's something that I've loved experimenting with in, in the dramas that we've made for kids over the course of the last four years. Um, I actually listened to Drama on One Live, and uh, one of my favourites is probably Sorry Wrong Number by Lucille Fletcher. Oh, cool. I've listened to that so many times. Or, um, Wine from Greenland by Alejandro Nicholson. There are so many 
because I've got like six saved onto my Spotify that I just listen to over and over and over again. They're, they're, really they're like your that. Graceland. They're your Graceland. Exactly. Uh, that's my like go-to. Yeah. I have listened to Domestic Robots by John Borman, uh, starring Brendan Gleeson, I'd say 20 to 30 times. And what do you get out of radio drama? I'm really interested in this. As an 11-year-old, um, what is it you enjoy about them? Well, I mean, it's just the storylines. It's so well done. For example, Domestic Robots, most kids would not see a point in that story. There is okay. no morals in Domestic Robots. It is merely a story of a woman and um, a man getting a robot. And having Your classic, robot your classic man it's and just, woman meet robot. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Exactly. But I just find it so interesting because sometimes the most interesting things is just plain life. There's a reason why Ulysses is so popular. It's one day, just about one straight day, about nothing. It's just a story about a man in one day. And it's amazing that I think that somebody like James Joyce can accomplish something like that, like that to turn plain life into such an interesting piece of work. Yeah, well, I think there's magic in everything that we do. And I think it's just about trying to capture that in whatever medium you use, whether that be trying to tell a real world story, like in Ecolution, which is the climate action podcast I make. I'm trying to tell a story that's really hard to tell because it's the story of, you know, climate breakdown and and uh, biodiversity loss and real worries about um, the changing world that we have. But you always have to try and find the story in the middle of it and the way to be able to do that. And those are ordinary things. And the people I interview are, well, extraordinary people because they're because they're doing great things. But um, their stories are relatable in the same way as uh, Ulysses is relatable. And and although it was written over 100 years ago. So it's you're... not as relatable as your drama on one where that's. Then again, Domestic Robots is set 60 years into the future. So some of, and then you got Sorry, Wrong Number, that's in the 1920s. Yeah, a lot of them aren't actually during our time now that I think it was. That's fun I mean, though. Wait, I mean, I... Why, why I'm from Greenland, sorry. I wouldn't find it relatable because it's two 40 year olds talking about how their life is and it eventually turns into a whole story about their passion to go to Greenland. And then it becomes a heated argument that... It's very weird. Um, but the thing is, is that it's still real life. And mm. for those who are older than me, much older than me, would find it relatable, where I just find it entertaining to listen to two 40 year olds arguing across the table on a podcast. I think, <laughs> I think the best media, whether it be an animation, a radio drama, or a play, or whatever it is you're going to listen to, or a podcast, you can listen to it on several different levels. Like, uh, and, and I, I try and in the stuff that we make make sure that it's something that if i'm a parent and i'm listening to this podcast with my children it's something that's really entertaining and fun and i can enjoy and also that i can enjoy the responses i mean have you been i'm sure you've been to the cinema with your parents where there are parts of the cartoon where you or a film that you're watching that you really enjoyed maybe even more than elise or you know your parents enjoyed another aspect of it but all of you are able to enjoy it I think a whole family listen something that everyone can listen to and sort of or, or watch and and explain together is really the goal it's what you're trying to do all the time is make something that'll work for everyone it, it is for me anyway and that that's perfect bro this that that actually was a very deep conversation there 
And then for my last question, and this this maybe from you, I'm, I'm not that deep. <laughs> well, what you've just said is quite deep. Like the elephant thing blew my mind. Um, but then I, again, I think I think you should like, feature an elephant in this episode. I think at the end of this, Logan, you just need to slot in an elephant. Thanks to Nikki and thanks to the elephant, and I'll look to one side and you just go. Do you know what? We'll put that in. We'll Good put man. that in. Okay, we'll, we'll finish that up at the end. I'll clip out that part so that we actually have that in. Um, so, as my last question, sorry, I'm leaning over. Um, but my last question is, do you have any tips? Somebody wants to be a producer or a DJ or make really interesting um, podcast episodes like The Emperor's New Duds or make an incredible um, podcast by kids and you, obviously, called Ecolution. What, what tips would you give? That's a broad, broad church. Um, what, what the tips that I kind of always gave, if, if, this, if, if your audience is young people like yourself, Logan, I mean, I'm very impressed by you because you're someone who's not just listening to podcasts, but making their own one. You're reaching out to try and find people. The number one thing about being a producer is making connections. It's whether that be one-on-one -on -one and meeting a person and being nice to that person. So as they, the, uh, so as you, you get a sense, a good communication going between the two of you, that's the number one most important thing. And you've been practicing that already. Uh, the number two is is, is is to broaden those connections to to help other people um i always try and help other people in my work sometimes to a fault someone will ask me can i do something and i will say yes straight away or they will um they will um, ask me, do I know someone who does this thing? And I will sort of go over overboard to try and connect two people that don't know each other because I think they'd like each other or I think they can work on something together. Because I think in me, part of me is to be of service and to help other people. And again, I need to do that a little bit less because one thing I would suggest is respect your own time. Oftentimes when you're making something for the first time, you're, you're liable to say yes, to multiple different things. Like in terms of if someone asks you to work late or, or, or work really hard on a project, you'll say yes, and you'll just do it really because you're so excited about it. And I've done that quite often, but you're important too. And, and, and where your head is at and, and, and where your creativity is coming from is important in the work that you do as well. So you need to be careful about respecting yourself. You should be your first audience and you should be your first critic in terms of if you're making material that you like and that you're proud of, that is basically the best step forward you could possibly take. When you're young and you're making materials that doesn't necessarily have an audience in the same way as it would otherwise, unlike Logan sends off, but um, mm. when I, I always used to say to my students, college and, and school are the best places you can ever make a mistake. If you're writing an essay or you're writing a play or a poem or something like that, you're not going to get it right the first time. In fact, you're probably likely to get it wrong, but in getting it wrong, you learn what to do differently the next time. And it all grows. It's like a coral reef. <laughs> you know, one thing breaks yeah. off and another element grows on top of it and it grows stronger than it did before. And that's kind of where your creativity comes from. Be, uh, but, but if you feel a creative urge, follow that urge as much as you possibly can. If your urge is to make Lego, do that and do it to the point that you're really enjoying yourself. At any point, something, sometimes your job, your work and the creative, I, I know, one of the things I loved doing for a long time before I started NRT was making a podcast with my friend. And that came first and foremost out of making a connection with my friend, making time with a person that I loved and liked and wanted to talk about. 
silly things and we had a time every week we'd sit down and talk for an hour and we'd answer listeners questions and we put it all together and that was a really really fun thing that I had to do um, and it improved our friendship we got to know each other an awful lot better it improved our relationship with our audience and um it was just a creative impulse that I really, really enjoyed. And I just did it for fun. Now I make podcasts for my job and I still really enjoy it. Um, but uh, there are, you know, there's always going to be admin stuff that you have to do. As long as you can enjoy the work that you do creatively, stick with it and just do the best you possibly can. But the number one is just be nice to people. Be nice to people, you know, be helpful. Um, and, you know, if someone offers you the opportunity to do something creative and your parents support you in it and it's something that you can do within the realms of what you do why not take life by the horns and just actually make it make the thing and if it's not perfect brilliant it shouldn't be perfect nothing I've ever made has been perfect every single thing I've ever made has had a deadline attached to it whether that be Christmas because I had to have the panto out ready for Christmas day or Tomorrow is we have an episode of, uh, of Evolution with Jane Goodall, uh, and I've timed it so as it lines up with um, uh, the nature restoration law, which has been debated in the EU at the moment. Uh, oftentimes, you love a deadline, and if you that deadline is 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 very helpful to you. Firstly, because um, it means you have to finish something, and secondly, it means that you know what you're working towards, um, and also it gives you this discipline to know that in your head if you've hit a deadline once you know you can do it again so don't be daunted by big projects because even if they're not perfect just the process of doing something is going to be a learning experience that's worthwhile i could not do the job i do now if i hadn't taught and made mistakes all of the different things over the course of 18 years before then so you learn from everything you learn from your mistakes and you learn from your success but i probably learned an awful lot more from my mistakes than any of the things i've gotten an award for that, that's brilliant. I mean, they, do you know what? I think a lot of people could use that because I've talked to people who aren't quite like you, Nikki, who don't do radio plays, who don't do, um, do, who isn't a DJ. And I don't mean somebody who mixes records. I mean, somebody who's an actual disc Present. jockey yeah, yeah. who actually plays music. So it was very interesting to talk to you. And I just want to say thanks. Thank um, you. Thanks for asking me on come on to the podcast um so thanks to nikki and also thanks to the elephant i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of logan sounds off you can follow me on x facebook and instagram at logan sounds off and don't forget to subscribe and not miss any more cool episodes bye guys